Hello and welcome to today's Intelligent Property Investor Masterclass. The purpose of all of this is to make you more intelligent about your investment decisions because if you make better decisions, you make more money. And now's not the time to be squeamish. Now is the time to really step up and, uh, you know, to make some really good decisions because there's some great opportunities in the market, but there's a lot of rubbish as well. Look, if you're listening to me on any one of the podcast forums like iTunes or Spotify, please make sure at some stage you get across to either my YouTube channel so you can see all my charts or to my website, I love real estate.tv. I love real estate TV, big pun, and I love real estate uh, is my YouTube channel. So, hope uh, hope to see you there and leave me some comments. Let me know what you think. Give me some hearts. Give me some some um, thumbs up. Whatever you do over there, <laughs> because I'd love to hear from you. And I hope that uh, what I do here really helps out a lot of you. So just let me know. Hey, all right. So what are we going to talk about this week? I want to talk about um, how to buy property with a bushel of wheat, <laughs> a bushel of wheat. I bet you haven't heard that saying for a long, long time. Why the US dollar's dominance is under threat, uh, but why it still has uh, no known predators. So I think it's going to be a long time before the US dollar actually gets toppled. But there's a few things out there I need to talk about. Uh, where in the world you can buy, um, use wheat or garlic for that matter as a deposit on a house. Bet you're guessing where that is. And why the uh, Australia's biggest trading partner has its fair share of challenges right now, particularly as the global economy starts to take a little bit of a slowdown. And uh, why the Aussie property market has gone into has, it actually has an autocorrect stabilizer and that's actually kicked into gear. So I want you to understand what that means and how it affects the property market. So let's start off with the US dollar. Is the US dollar's reign finally over? Well, look, there's some chatter about it at the moment, uh, about the US dollar no longer being the world's reserve currency. Now, what I mean by that is it is the main trading dollar that people use to exchange goods and services. Now, that creates a lot of benefit for the US, uh, the Federal Reserve, and of course, their dollar. But... Uh, no viable alternative is out there. So while there's a couple of things going on, which you go, hmm, that's not so good, uh, there's no viable alternative. Now, the IMF came out during the week and they warned that the US dollar was losing its dominance after sanctions, particularly with Russia. Um, and we started to see a little bit of a backflip on a couple of things around the world. For instance, the Saudi Arabia. Well, I mean, they've been a little bit narky about the uh, about the US for a while, particularly after they killed one of their journalists and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, um, they considered accepting the yuan, which is, of course, the Chinese currency, instead of the US dollar for oil sales to China, because normally China would have to get US dollars in order to buy their oil off the, the Saudis. Well, the Saudis are saying, you know what, we're happy to take your currency, which is interesting because you've got to remember that, uh, that China is a communist country and they basically control everything to the nth degree. It's not run by a free market which means that they can manipulate uh, their yuan very, very easily. So uh, it does add a little bit of risk when you take the yuan as a, uh, you know, the, the main trading currency. 
Now, this is a little bit interesting because it actually shows you how uh, the dominance, I suppose, or how much international trade is done in what currencies. Clearly, the US is streets ahead of everybody. The reason the euro, and it was many years ago, we were talking about the euro um, possibly being the new world currency, but they couldn't agree with each other and they, they carried on, you know, infighting and then, you know, some places were going broke and whatever else. That's not going to happen. So the euro is no longer a threat, but it is the next most traded. And that is because in Europe, that's what they use. There's a lot of trade done in Europe and around Europe using the euro. So that's why the euro is so strong. But then they drop right down and you've got the British pounds got a bit and the the Japanese yen's got a little bit. Um, And then you've got the, uh, you know, the Chinese RMB or the, the yuan, Um, And it's way down the bottom. So even though there's a bit of chatter around things, the reality is that the US is so far ahead, it's going to be a very long time before anything changes in that regard. This shows you the share of uh, exporting and invoices as how much is done in what currency. Look at the blue. The blue is the US. The blue is streets ahead of anything else. Obviously, in Europe, uh, the euro is the one that uh, that takes up most of the currency trading, but that's because they've all got euros. Uh, but everywhere else, I'm afraid it's the uh, it's the US dollar. The pinky bits at the top is everybody else. Um, you know, we don't see Australia in there, do we? So this is our share of uh, over the counter foreign exchange. Uh, transactions. A lot of, you know, this is a little bit different to the previous ones because that's really, the previous chart was about goods and services being traded, like imports and exports. This is more about, you know, the currencies around the world and who's demanding what currencies as, you know, you travel and those sort of things. And again, it's the US dollar that is the uh, over-the-counter traded. So if you, you know, you're going to stockpile something, people tend to stockpile the US dollar as opposed to anything else. The euro is the next strongest and there's a smattering of everybody else out there. So there is no threat, even though there's a bit of chatter around it. It would be devastating for the US if the US dollar was to be toppled, but they haven't got a threat for a very long time. It's going to take a lot of changes before the US dollar ceases to become the main main demanded uh, central bank dollar, if you like. And this is the demand. This chart here shows you the demand for dollars by central banks. So this is how much the banks want varying currencies. Again, look at the US dollar. It is streets ahead of anything else. So even though, yes, it's come back a little bit, there's no way that it's anywhere near losing its reign. So I'm afraid all of that chatter is just a bit of, you know, trying to make a story out of something, I'm afraid. Uh, so, you know, we don't need to uh, to get too concerned about it, I don't think. But it's something to have a look at. So where can you buy uh, or have a deposit on a house with a bushel of wheat or a or a tonnage of garlic. It's China. Now, I want to explain why this is happening. And I want to talk about the downturn in China, particularly in the property industry, because property uh, developers in China, uh, you know, they've, they've had their struggles over the last little while. But what you'll see is that those struggles are predominantly as a result of um, government intervention which you'd expect out of China, but we had it too. And I want to talk about the parallels between what we had back in 2017 and what they're now going through. So um, Chinese developers accept wheat, garlic and garlic as payments uh, to woo buyers. 
what does all of that mean? Well, what it means is that a little while ago, China, um, it, it had this three-bar policy and three, three red bars, they called it, or something to that effect. And basically what it did is controlled, um, you know, what developers, um, wh- how they could develop, um, you know, the, the qualifications that they had to have, debt-to-income ratios and all this kind of stuff, um, which, which determined whether they could actually develop the land or whatever. Anyway, it cut out a lot of developers and it actually sent a lot of developers broke, including some of the big boys. Um, so it was government intervention that caused that. And it's interesting when you start to uh, you know, delve into that, it's exactly the same thing that happened in Australia back in 2017. APRA, our governing body that controls the banks, got involved and said, you can't do this and you can't lend that. And, you know, your your principal and interest loans to your interest only loans, they have to be at this ratio and you can only increase your lending by 10% and your, your home occupiers have to be greater than your investors and all of these regulations. And we're going to have a Royal Commission on top of that. So the banks all pull back. Now, the one thing in the last 100 odd 150 years in Australia that has caused a market to crash is a credit squeeze. And that's what happened back in 2017. We had a credit squeeze. The government squashed the banks. Now, for the government to get involved, there's got to be a lot of rotting in the system or or easy loans and all of these kind of stuff. We are nowhere near that at the moment. So all these people that are concerned about interest rates, you know, causing a crash in the market, it's not because we haven't got a credit squeeze. And it's the credit squeeze that actually causes the recession in the property market. So uh, that's what happened in China. You know, this three red bar thing that they that they had actually caused a credit squeeze for them. And that is why we've seen the downturn. So if you have a look, this is all Chinese stuff. If you have a look at the, um, you know, housing and there's remains in the gutter, there's four charts there. So let's go through them individually. The first one is that investment is still depressed. So uh, you can see there in the real estate, it's down, although it started to move. Now, um, on top of that, you've got manufacturing that is also down and infrastructure is down. Uh, A lot of that is um, of recent time is actually their um, uh, zero tolerance to COVID. So as soon as somebody, you know, tests positive for COVID, well, the whole city kind of locks down pretty much. And their zero tolerance is really affecting a lot of things. So people are running scared, even the developers and people who are buying the houses are running scared. And, you know, because of this three bar policy, a lot of people aren't prepared to commit to buy a property because they don't know whether the developer is actually going to go broke or not in the meantime. So the three bar policy, the government has actually recognised that we've gone too far and they're actually trying to reverse and I'll show you the chart in a minute. So housing sales are obviously down. Um, you know, compared to where they were in 2020, and then you've got 2022, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the housing sales um, in the top 30 cities. And actually, that's actually more buoyant than what we're seeing in the other cities. So goods and services are down, um, catering's down, everything's down because of this uh, this zero tolerance policy. And that's actually what's causing a lot of it. So it's almost half as bad as it was uh, when they had uh, the big lockdowns that they had in the early part of COVID. Uh, and they're experiencing that again. So that a lot of this is because of COVID, the over exuberance of the governments trying to control everything and push everything down. But they recognise that. So what they're now doing is they are now trying to ease the pressure. 
So they're tightening up their measures so that everything else can can start to take off again. So we're starting to see some uh, easing right across, uh, you know, the number of uh, a number of the, the cities, particularly the bigger ones. Um, and uh, that's what we're really starting to see a turnaround in. So it's a short term measure. So if you hear anything about, you know, China's recession or China's property market being up the creek, there are some reasons for it. And a lot of it is actually the government, um, either through their lockdowns and their zero tolerance policy, like everybody else is just trying to live with it. Um, they're not. They lock everything down again. And their um, their over-exuberance of trying to get the property developers to cool their heels. Well, they obviously, they went too far. Exactly what APRA did in 2017 here in Australia. But, you know, exports are still high, even though you look at that and go, oh, they came down. Right now they've started to turn around. They're starting to go back up again. Look, it's something to watch, but it, it's way ahead of where they were in 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019. There's still heaps above, uh, you know, where they were then. Um, and remember, we feed them. We feed them with their raw materials, particularly our commodities and then also our agriculture and a few other bits and pieces. So even though China's pulled back to a large extent, the reality is that uh, they still buy a lot from Australia and it's really not affected our export markets because we just we just put them to other other um, markets around the world. And uh, so our balance of trade is still very, very strong. So we are less reliant on China, which ultimately was a good thing. We were getting a bit lazy, let's face it. Let's have a look at the next thing as to why we have the property auto uh, stabiliser kicking into gear. What is that? New listings are down on reduced vendor confidence. So the fact is that vendors aren't really confident about the market um, and they're not putting their properties up for listing. So what that has meant is we've reduced supply, which in turn um, you know, has given a support to prices. Um, so it actually works like an automatic stabiliser. If you look at this chart here, you can see here that the Capital City Auction Stats, um, 2000, uh, July 2022, you can see they're way down. You know, we're talking about, about you know, 50%, 55%, 52%. Adelaide's still up there, but it'll come back as well. Um, you know, they're, they're really, really quite low. But the fact is that the total auctions are down. Um, so we haven't got as much stock. You know, if you look at this chart here, you can see new listings. This is our rolling 28-day uh, count, if you like. Um, you know, we're, we're still a lot down on where we have been. I've got a better chart for you in a minute. This is put out by uh, Lewis Christopher. Uh, he's one of the economists who's pretty vocal at the moment. He says the fall in new listings has, was a result of reduced vendor confidence in the strength of the housing market, as well as uh, seasonal factors whereby the winter period normally records a decline in residential property sales activity, particularly in Sydney and Melbourne. So some of the bad news stories that we are actually hearing are as a result of seasonal adjustments, but also the fact that people are just sitting on their properties a little bit longer rather than listing them for sale because they just want to see what's going to happen. So this is the, uh, the monthly volumes you can see coming through and 2022 is considerably less. 
than we saw in uh, in 2021. And remember, 2021 was a bad year. 2021, people were still deciding whether they wanted to do anything. In fact, this chart really shows you the best picture of our undersupply. The dark blue line is 2022. The uh, orangey line is 2021. The pinky line is 2020. Now, they're the years of COVID. Look how far down we are from a supply perspective now compared to where we have been over the last two years. And then you compare it to a pre-COVID year, like 2018, 2019, we have, we have dramatically dropped the number of houses on the market. So that's actually stabilised our prices because if we had just as many listings as we normally have, the price would have come back quite quite a considerable amount more because um, you know there was more stock to 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 pick from. Well, there's barely any stock to pick from at the moment, um, and uh, a lot of the deals that we're actually getting are off market deals in the uh, in the I love uh, real estate industry right now. So, uh, you know, amongst my students, I'm seeing a lot of off-market deals. And this is something that I'm really, really uh, happy about because they're picking some amazing cherries. Uh, so the monthly total of uh, sales listings trend you can see has been down. It's been coming down since 2010, but these last few years, it's been dramatically down. So something to watch. Um, and the fact is that uh, we're still dramatically undersupplied in housing. Uh, and you wait till we open those borders up. When we get another 200 to 400,000 new people coming into this country, where do you think we're going to put them? Rents are already through the roof. Uh, you know, we're in very um, dire sh uh, shortage of supply when it comes to housing, both for long-term tenants as well as for short-term tenants. And it's just going to have, create a lot of upward pressure on pricing, which is why when most of the uh, mainstream media is, is so negative on anything, we've got the masses out there snoozing their heads off, um, you know, in fear and, and uh, you know, being shocked into not doing anything because of mainstream media. Well, it creates massive opportunity. It creates opportunity for us, uh, the investors, who are educated and are out there making things happen. So I've got a little quote for the week for you, and I think it's a great one for what's happening in the market right now, and that's this. If not now, when? You're going to sit on the sideline for how long? Uh, you know, why, why aren't we taking the opportunities right now? So if you're sitting on the sideline, if you're uh, waiting for something to happen, uh, you got rocks in your head because now is the time to step up. Now is the time to get educated. Now is the time to start really cherry picking because we've got far more opportunity in the market now than we have when last year when things were roaring through the roof. So if not now, I've got to ask you when. So to that end, I have some uh, a few appointments available with my advisors. They're 30 minutes long. They're all free. Uh, they're my real estate breakthrough sessions. Come armed with your goals, dreams, aspirations, all of those things. And we'll talk you through, um, you know, what the movement forward is for you, where you're at, what that means for you in the market and how we can help you. So all you have to do is to go to iloverealestate.tv forward slash questions forward slash and, uh, and pick out one of the appointments there. Make sure you write in your diary. Make sure you turn up and uh, we'll be there to, uh, to talk you through some of the stuff that's actually going on at the moment.
Anyway, look, that's it for me this week. It was a bit of a short one, I know, uh, but I hope you enjoyed it. It's the Intelligent Property Investor Masterclass. And I'll come back again next week to give you another bit of an update as to what's going on. So bye for now and I'll catch you then. See ya.